This is Help Wanted, the show that tackles all the big work questions you cannot ask anyone else. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I'm New York Times bestselling author and money expert, Nicole Lappin. The helpline is open. The most popular product launch in the last couple of years wasn't ChatGBT or even the latest iPhone. It was you. Whether it's through something like a masterclass or even Instagram shops, more and more people are monetizing their skills through coaching, consulting, or teaching classes. This can be a really smart way to make money doing what you're good at. And because it's all of you, it could be something you do as a side hustle or your main hustle. You can scale it up as much or as little as you want. So yeah, this all sounds great until you get into that little detail of pricing. How do you put a price on yourself? That is the exact question that made listener Kelsey call into the helpline. Here she is. Kelsey, welcome to Help Wanted. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. So Kelsey, you wrote in with a question. Why don't you tell us what your question is? Absolutely. So I have been having a really tough time with pricing digital products. So I am a copywriter who also teaches courses for entrepreneurs. And I also have a membership on how people can sell themselves without sounding salesy. And I've had that course for a few years now, as well as other products like templates and digital downloads. But I feel like the market has changed so much since I launched that course in 2020 and just people's attention spans are different. The economy is different. And I would really love guidance from you all on how to price digital products and services for the current market. Perfect. So Kelsey, Nicole and I know many things, but exactly what you're asking. We know someone who knows even more. His name is Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are. Thrilled to be here, guys. Thank you, Kelsey, for the question. Um, Matt, an entrepreneur. I run SPI Media, if anyone knows the Smart Passive Income, and just generally uh, trying to help a lot of startups and small business owners think about really important decisions so that they can become more profitable and sustainable over time. So, Matt, that was great. Now, please stand by because before we get to pricing, Nicole and I just want to know a little bit more about Kelsey and your background and how you got into this business. And then we're going to get into your pricing. Absolutely. I launched my company in 2018, Magic Words Copywriting. That snowballed into realizing, wow, I only have so many hours in the day. I can only take so many one-on-one -on -one clients, but I want to help more people. So shout out Matt, smart passive income brain when I need to create a digital course because I want to reach more people. I want to help more people sell themselves without feeling gross or sounding salesy. So I created my signature program, Copy Class, which has now served over 8,000 students, which blows my mind every time awesome. I say it, and created essentially over the course of a few years, this digital product suite but what I've noticed, both for myself and for my students, is that 2023 is a different animal. And we don't know what we don't know. The best thing any entrepreneur can do is come to something with beginner's mind and say, okay, I feel that something is different. Something is changing. The same tactics are no longer working. So what do I need to learn about how people are thinking about investing in themselves, investing in copywriting, investing in digital products so that I can 
connect with them rather than sell to them. I'd love to know from the data and from the signups that you've had, were those 8,000 students primarily over 2020 or would it, was that the cliff? Great question. So the initial huge influx of the vast majority of students were from course bundles that I participated in in 2020 when I launched almost as like beta or data gathering because I wanted to know, is this course going to be something that people want? What is the response going to be like? How do I shift the course? And it was just this flood of students. Since then, it has been a very steady, almost I would say plateau, like it's about 10 to 20 signups every launch. And the price has increased over time to reflect the value of the course. Okay. It feels unfair to carry on any longer without bringing Matt Gartland in because what you're describing is what he has experienced because Smart Passive Income, the brand that he runs, was a courses business and has transformed in part because of what you're saying there. So Matt, jump in here. What are you hearing? Everything that Kelsey is saying is very personal uh, in terms of yeah our journey at SPI, in terms of my friends that are creators as well, entrepreneurs with little small, essentially media companies, right? And, and thinking about how we are creating different content products at different price points. I can concur at least bigger picture with Kelsey's observations. Going into the pandemic, certainly post-pandemic, the headwinds that we have faced ourselves and, and have had to adapt to in terms of how you know customer demand has been changing and what that demand then means when we do zero back in on how do we decide upon pricing strategies, not just the tactics of pricing or do I end up price on a nine versus a seven and some of that stuff, right? But but truly, how are we using pricing as a language to talk about value, to try to connect with them in a market-based relationship. There's both a science side of this, there's a lot of math, but there's an art of it as well that even probably marries up quite nicely with copywriting because how do you position that price inside of a proposition, right? I think there's something very beautifully meta about this too. And I think it's important to just note that Shrinks have shrinks, doctors have doctors, trainers have trainers, you're teaching other people, you're learning from Matt, who has been in this game for a really long time. So I love that. I would love to get a little granular too to sort of double click on the science part. And just if you could go through the numbers for us, like what is the pricing? What has the evolution been? Sure. So copy class used to be the only digital product that I offered. And at the launch, it was $297. It is a three and a half hour total course, four modules broken into different areas of copywriting designed for non-writers. So the launch was $297, but in the bundles, it was extremely, extremely discounted. The majority of the influx of the first wave of customers got it at an insane discount through the years, about every six to nine months, I would do a relaunch where I would raise the price. The price is now $9.97 and the course has been updated for the current marketplace. It is like a completely redone, rebranded course, but it went from $2.97 to $9.97. In the three years since I launched, I have also added products at different sort of pricing tiers. 
So there's this mid-tier pricing, which is more of templates and like mini courses that aren't that big signature program. And the pricing of those falls somewhere around like between one and $300. And then there is the low tier, like low uh, price commitment products, which are my membership, like a monthly membership where people just get a piece of pre-recorded content every month that helps them move forward in their business. Is that and $97? Then I, it's going to be. Right now it's 47 It's recently What's launched. What's up with the seven? That's another question that I had. And actually, I think, was it Matt or Jason who said, you know, there's that science of ending it in a seven or ending it in a nine. That was something that a business coach told me years ago, like ending things in seven psychologically, you get more sales. So that's why it's ending in seven. But you know, I that's just the data that I have gotten. If there's new data, lay it on me for sure. Yes. So there's low, mid and high priced digital products. It's like a digital product suite in addition to the one-on-one freelance work that I do. That's really helpful also because I'm sure somebody listening to this right now like fell off a couch as you, soon as you said that you raised this price from 297 to 997. Do people still buy it at a volume at 997 cuz yes. that is that is magic if you could just take a price and jack it up and people will pay you more money. That sounds like the greatest thing in the world. Tell us about that. Sure. So I when I launched it, I let the entire internet know this is launch pricing. This is not going to be around forever. This is like I'm trying to learn from my students on how this is going to be adjusted. If you get in now, you'll have access for life. But this is going away, which, of course, created a sense of urgency, which resulted in sales. And the raising of the price, again, this has happened over the course of three years. And the course has grown, shifted, adjusted. There's now a live teaching element. So the program itself has expanded. That said, I do not think I will raise it above 997 because of, again, just the feeling that I'm getting in the current market. I believe it's capped out for this program. The other thing that I see is there are courses that I have invested in and taken that have cost double that, that I don't think are as good as my course. I'm, you know, Sorry to be a little conceited, but like you got to believe in your own course is great. Like the program is effing great, and I believe in it. So at least nine ninety seven. Yeah, like at least. So I take both. Who am I trying to reach? And like, what is the realistic price point that I can deliver? Like, I'm giving them this value. But I'm also mindful that most of the people taking this are small business owners or entrepreneurs who are who have a small team or it's just them. You know, some people will just say the price of something is what people are willing to pay for it. But Matt, you have priced many a product and also know how to structure exactly these kinds of things. So what are you hearing? Diagnose what Kelsey just said. Uh, a lot of what Kelsey is doing is great. So for, to play back to just a little bit, you have what I would call or in do call a value stream. So from the sounds of it, you have tier structures, right? Or if you close your eyes and kind of visualize just almost like columns, low, medium, high, or even beyond three, it doesn't have to be three. 
And then so much about pricing, like you don't price products individually, you price them in context of your other offerings. Mm. And then the juxtaposition of the independent products, you know, from low to high, high to low helps to inform the perceived value in terms of your brand reputation, in terms of your addressable market, right? The whole is greater than some of its parts. So the fact that it sounds like you have some version of that right now is fantastic. A lot of people that come to SPI that come to me even personally and ask these sorts of questions, they're trying to make individual decisions in a vacuum around like, hey, what should I price for this one course, right? Or this one new membership experience or this one new coaching program, right? And they're they're not seeing the forest from the trees. I just also want to point out as people are thinking about pricing and how strange in a way it is to talk about pricing of these particular products, because to be clear, this is a digital course that Kelsey made once. There is no cost of goods here. Every time somebody orders it, Kelsey does not have to assemble something with new materials that she purchased and then like box it up in a garage. This is just profit once you recouped whatever expense it was to put this thing together. So pricing this is really just about understanding a market and nothing more because there's no cost of goods to cover here. You're selling air, you're selling ideas, you're selling an experience. So, oh, but but Matt is Matt is raising a finger, which means that I've said something that is well, only partially correct. I will say mostly correct, but uh, but I would submit that in an additive way, there is an asterisk here um, and it fits into maybe larger market forces. So at an individual product level, especially with a DIY course, you're almost infinite you know, profitability there at a unit economic level. However, and here's the asterisk, a lot of us are attempting to reinvest in our business, right? To think about new product creation, to think about you know, development of the next thing. So some of that profit, you know, will need to be reinvested as a cost back into other things. Kelsey has even said at least once you have redone the course or reinvested and updated it, right? Three or times. three times even. Yes. So uh, I, I submit here that there's a bit of a yes and. There's other costs, you know, a common question that I get from, you know, a whole spectrum of, of different entrepreneurs across different market segments is like, how much should I pay myself, right? And then you know, a lot of us that are working for ourselves, we want to make more over time. So how do I even think about paying myself more? Like, so costs change, your budgets should in fact grow if you want to pay yourself more. And then understanding that whole cost structure so that the pricing, not just of say a DIY product, but your whole product catalog. And then as you might be doing sales discounts, bundling of some of these additional, you know, sales strategies and even tactics, right. To just generate volume of revenue, how much are you potentially undermining or cutting into that profit margin? If you don't have any bearing or loose bearing on your cost structures, you run the risk of putting yourself negative, right? Even if your gross margin, even if that's really high, like you got to be careful, you know, in terms of some of that discounting or other sales strategies, if you don't have a command on, on your cost structures. Kelsey, do you, do you pay yourself a set amount? How do you handle that? Yes. So I reinvest everything into a business account and then I pay myself a salary from that account. A regular uh, salary? Like a monthly yes, salary? Yes. Like a monthly salary. Yes. And here's another piece of the puzzle that I don't know if this is relevant or not. But for in the middle of those three years of building this, in the middle of that, I actually had a full time job as a content director for a influencer marketing platform. And during that time, I did not run any major, you know, promos launches, but I have more recently sort of relaunched into this being my only source of income. And that just started in January. So I'm about six months into really making this my full-time only source of income. Well, congratulations. That's a milestone. Like that's, that's a big accomplishment and feature very much in the next phase. So 
kudos. That's fantastic. Thank you. Do you know like <laughs> approximately, or if you feel comfortable telling us approximately sure. what your accounts payable are or approximately what you're selling so we understand like what the burn is? Yes. It is costing me about, I would say like 700 a month to run my business as far as vendors, fixed costs, as far as what I make monthly, it's extremely variable because the course, like the big money-making course copy class launches twice a year. And those launches right now, like the most recent launch, I believe made 15,000. And it has made anywhere between like eight to 20,000 when I launched it Hmm. over the course of the entire time that I've had it, um, looking at my numbers over the course of three years, it has total made 60 grand for three years. Okay. That's very helpful. And again, congrats. Those are not small numbers. There's a couple of interesting things that a lot of us in this space are contending with again, kind of post pandemic and where we see market forces going. You you talk about kind of the big swings, like the launch model, right. Over years past. And, And we used to do that a ton, right? And it would have just major spikes, right? In revenue generation and then lulls. And then you really have to be good at your just fiscal management so that you're not cratering in between those those big spikes. So there's increasingly a shift away from the, the one-time product sale, right? More into recurring revenue models. It brings that much more predictability, right? Into a small business, especially one that is bootstrapped. And what we are seeing at SPI is not only is that an attractive thing for us as entrepreneurs, but it it aligns with what consumers seem to want, which is a connection, not one-time opportunities to learn a thing, right? But really an ongoing, more truly interconnected kind of relationship, right? And the technology advancements with platforms, with our ability to message in that way, we can adapt some of these learning experiences away from like DIY. And we can actually have now integrated learning experiences. That's what we've done at SPI, pivoted our whole model. And I know others are you know doing a lot of that as well. We started to, to turn that big boat because it's not easy, at least for us, because we had so much momentum in one direction back in 2019, even before the pandemic hit. So we just got lucky that we were working in this direction before the pandemic hit and then the pandemic hit. And then like we had a thing in our pipeline ready to go, you know, that was almost done. And we launched it in July of 2020. Are you speaking specifically about memberships? As a product type, yes, that's memberships. The prevailing focal point of interest, of demand is about the peer-to-peer connections, about applying what you're learning, getting feedback, having safer spaces to test out copywriting skills, right? And I mean, and your, your skill is fantastic for this, right? People can test this, can submit a sample copywriting can get feedback, not just from you, but the power of a private network to be very clearly distinguished from a public social network. You know, there's increased disinterest in just doing things public social all the time. You know, people are craving fewer relationships or having a thousand memberships, right? Choosing one or two, you know, of a concentration point, having deeper levels of trust, not just with the creator, but with the peer group that they are assimilated into, right? So mm-hmm. yes, that's memberships. There's other forms. Cohort-based courses is a wholly different product type. It kind of sits somewhere in between DIY education as a standalone learn on your own time sort of uh, experience and full-on kind of community-powered course, you know, cohort-based courses. You are in a peer group together, but it is temporary. 
and it would be on you as the creator to define that. And you could do this for your copywriting course. It's baselined as the DIY at $9.99. Going back to that relative context of how we can have a conversation through language, you know, using pricing. Okay, that's $9.97, but my cohort version, it's the same curriculum, right? But we're going to do it together and we're going to do that across a four-week period. And we're going to do that in a cohort style. That's $3,000 right? And then that's relatively juxtaposed against uh, a very successful DIY product. So, Mm -hmm. but it is increasingly interesting to see these patterns of what, what people are giving emphasis to in terms of that demand that the formal like economic term for this is price elasticity. And it kind of boils down super quickly to this. It's like, is, is your market seeing your product as a luxury or as a necessity? The more that you can position not your whole product suite, right? Because you're going to have different things across this value stream, right? Which one do you care maybe about the most? Which one is the real revenue driver for your business model? Okay. Does your audience see this thing more as a necessity? If true, you can change your price and demand shouldn't change as much, right? Yeah. You know, so long as you're doing the work inside of a membership to continually kind of earn that value and, and that trust, you know, then that membership hopefully you know, stays intact. Like that, that subscriber, that member in your community won't churn a cohort based course, you know, to me is, could be a really interesting thing to pilot even right to, or to even survey your, your existing students. Like you, you could even go to them and ask like, would a more guided experience through this curriculum be of real value? Traditionally with a DIY course, you can expect, I mean, if you're lucky, 10% completion rates, you know, that's probably high, right? I have seen statistics coming from the cohort-based community world of 50, 60, 70% completion rates because of that interconnected peer group, because they have access to you, right? And that's a very valuable thing. That's something that even folks with a cohort-based course product use in their own marketing, right? You know, in their copywritings to say like, look, if you choose to go this way, engage with me, yes, it's a higher price, but you're going to get that much more value out of it because I know that you're going to be that much more likely to actually learn and apply and complete, you know, this this training program, right? You have to know what kind of problem you're solving before you can come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's funny. All that makes me want to circle back to Kelsey because at the very beginning of this, even though ostensibly this conversation just started because you had a question about pricing, but then very quickly spiraled into a question about the entire model. You knew going into it, because it was part of what you built into your question, that something, there's a problem somewhere. There's a problem somewhere because you're seeing a shift in consumer behavior, even though you can see through the people who you help and because of your own expertise that like the things that you're teaching are, are, that the value of that hasn't changed. So something else is changing. So- I wonder if hearing all this and seeing the different ways from Matt that you could be teaching this stuff or creating different experiences and also how that adds so much value that people are willing to double or triple how much they're willing to pay for it, if that has gotten you thinking about bigger changes to make. Yeah, absolutely. The newest offer that I have is a monthly membership 
because I had this hunch of exactly what Matt was describing of people wanting more accountability and actually more handholding through the writing of the copy. And something that I saw in my most recent launch of the program was that the live component, the live call, which I call over the shoulder writing, where someone would come to me with their project and I would actually share my screen and actually write in real time and they could see how a professional copywriter would change the words. That was the most popular piece of the newest launch of the course. Stick around. Help Wanted will be right back. Nicole, have you ever thought about the one that got away? Jason, I am happily in a relationship. You know that. No, the hire that got away. Someone that you thought was perfect for your team, but ah, they were already with another employer. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, I think about her all the time. Well, it's not too late. You can reach out to that person on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals that you can't find anywhere else, even people who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, looks like it's time for me to shoot my shot. Do it. And I know you may have your heart set on one person, but if you do want to open it up and post a role to a bigger applicant pool, you can do it for free at linkedin.com slash help wanted. And because there are so many professionals on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. So you'll never have a one that got away again. Incredible. That's linkedin.com slash help wanted. Yep. LinkedIn.com slash help wanted. Terms and conditions apply. Happy hiring ever after. Nicole, have you ever thought about the one that got away? Jason, I am happily in a relationship. You know that. No, the hire that got away. Someone that you thought was perfect for your team, but ah, they were already with another employer. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, I think about her all the time. Well, it's not too late. You can reach out to that person on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals that you can't find anywhere else, even people who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, looks like it's time for me to shoot my shot. Do it. And I know you may have your heart set on one person, but if you do want to open it up and post a role to a bigger applicant pool, you can do it for free at linkedin.com slash help wanted. And because there are so many professionals on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. So you'll never have a one that got away again. Incredible. That's linkedin.com slash help wanted. Yep. LinkedIn.com slash help wanted. Terms and conditions apply. Happy hiring ever after. Welcome back to Help Wanted. Let's get to it. Thank you, Kelsey, for sharing your numbers. I'm the numbers lady and I and I want to dig into these a little bit more. If you brought in sixty thousand dollars of revenue doing some back of the napkin math and you have eight thousand customers, that's seven bucks on mm-hmm. average a person. So Matt, do you think there's too many pricing tiers, it sounds like the concentration is more toward the lower end. Should she focus on that entry point? I would love to shed a little bit more light on those numbers just to make sure that the answer is 
is as relevant as can be. The majority of those 8,000 people, I would say almost 7,000 of them were in those initial bundles where it was a really, really low entry price point. Like, I mean, in a, you know, a bundle of a hundred courses and mine was included. So just to sort of put that context in there as well, as far as like cost per customer or revenue per customer. No, that's really helpful information, but it still sounds like it's concentrated in the entry point price point. So should she double down on that and really go all in on the entry point versus spreading out the marketing time or the organic marketing on all the price points? Because it sounds like she's really doing well on the lower side of the pricing tier. Yeah, especially with that additive context, Kelsey, that the, the majority, seven on eight of the students came in at that bundle price, which if I recall was like a 297, you know, kind of in its original form, mm-hmm. then it suggests to me the 997 might might be too high, uh, especially if we step out of that one individual price point And again, look at the entire spectrum, right? That entire value stream. If you considered strategically like, like chess, like two moves together, if you moved down the DIY price point to something even like, say even half of that, right? If that just as a, as a hypothesis here, right? If you move that down at the same time, you introduced a cohort-based course version of that at say even 2000, right? You know, which is a, a 4X multiple on value off of say like a $500-ish or, you know, 497 price point for a DIY. That, to me, that does a couple of things. One is, at least in, again, my broader view of the market, there is a lot of downward pressure on pricing for a DIY education. We don't even sell DIY products. We used to, but we don't sell them anymore at that altitude. Two is then like doing that could generate more demand because kind of more broadly speaking, DIY education is becoming more of a luxury. To go back to a price elasticity, it's become something that isn't as critical to someone's learning journey, right? To try to learn a skill. And therefore pricing is more sensitive to like their choice to buy a thing, right? So the connective tissue, the peer group, those sorts of elements, however, even that uh, over the shoulder writing, love that. Absolutely. That's fantastic. You know, it speaks more to then potentially what is truly a necessity. People want to learn in that way. So launching a, again, a cohort-based version of that same thing, the curriculum is the same, it's just the experience is different, right? Yeah. And doing those in, in combination could be a really interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's extremely valuable advice and honestly makes me excited to, to dig into it and see how I can adjust what I already have to fit this new model. And I guess that brings up a question we should have asked out of the gate, I think, are there revenue goals that you have? Because you mentioned that you watched other courses and yours are the best, obviously. But <laughs> you know, there's one thing to have completion rates for the sake of building community and whatnot. But if you're really just in it for the revenue, you kind of don't care about completion rates. And the fact of the matter is probably nobody else is watching classes to the end, yours or otherwise. So uh, it sounds like you're not only optimizing for revenue. So it would be good to understand exactly what those goals are so we could help clearly back into them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that my answer is wanting to build 
a business that supports my life goals, not just my revenue goals, but of course, revenue goals are a huge part of the life goals. So right now, my revenue goal is to be making 50-50 from recurring revenue, which is this digital product suite, courses, membership, templates, digital products, and my one-on-one copywriting work, which is currently two-thirds, and I want to get it to 50-50 by the end of the year while not sacrificing any of the revenue that I'm currently making monthly. And then moving from there, I would like the recurring revenue to take over having to do these one-on-one freelance projects more and more as time goes on. Because time for money, I love connecting with people in a one-on-one capacity, but the capacity is very limited, right? There's only so many hours that you can help people in the week. So I actually am very excited about this idea of cohort-based courses sort of being a happy medium of the two, taking the product that I've already made and already invested a lot in and know is really valuable that people love and introducing new elements that do have more of me, for lack of a better way of putting it, more of a real-time expertise element, access, as you said, access and connection, like starting to add more of that into what I've already built over time, which is this digital product suite that hopefully will continue to increase as far as revenue. And that's awesome to have more of you. The the problem with that is that it's hard to scale that. But if you don't want to scale that, then we shouldn't optimize for that. Matt, I know you're trying to figure out how to scale personalities too. And this is a recurring issue in this course game. If you were the CEO of Kelsey's company, what would you do next in terms of pricing? What I would do next is maybe even ask and just survey, you know, how your students want to continue to learn from you, right? Because there's one thing to try to just always be acquiring new customers. And a wholly other thing is how do I continue to serve an existing customer base, right? So there are ways that you could potentially explore beyond just the one course and set of curriculum that you have beyond the the one-to-one service work that you you also have as a part of your model, could that inform another course, right? Not just taking the course you have today and turning it into the cohort-based course version of that, but is there a second curriculum that you could develop and you're serving existing customers, right? That can be a way, you know, from like a CEO standpoint, to do more product development that is informed and validated before you even spend an hour of time or a dollar of budget, you know, to build, you want to keep serving those customers because it's faster, right? You don't have to take as much time. You don't have to potentially worry about new customer acquisition methods, right? So as a CEO, especially with the traction you have and, and a lot of great success, I would strongly consider that, especially maybe over the next six months, as you think about changing and evolving, which I think is fantastic as a goal, that revenue composition, which would be the nerdy term for it, and shifting more into a 50-50 sort of blend, fantastic. So I'd start there and and time box that for like, I think six months and be at at that threshold by the end of the year so that you could have not only a better revenue composition set going into the new year, but also potentially another product, right? That you're selling. How does that sound, Kelsey? That sounds wonderful. I love the idea of using six months, giving yourself like an end time to accomplish the goal. I think it is always, I mean, copywriter 101, you want to interview people and hear what they actually want. And also bringing in Jason's earlier point of that 
moment where something is hitting all of a sudden and you're like, okay, I got to sit up and pay attention. Is there a way that I can use that information to create either potentially a new format of something I already have to make it more exciting to people or create potentially an entirely new product. So that is my homework and I'm really nerdily excited to dive in. It's that's so exciting. Uh, well, both of you, Matt Garland, SPI Media, Smart Passive Income, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And Kelsey Foremost, Magic Words Copywriting, thank you for joining us. We were going to charge you $2.97 for all the knowledge <laughs> on the show, but I think we're raising it to $9.97 because it was so good. Really appreciate you being here. Help Wanted is a production of Money News Network. Help Wanted is hosted by me, Jason Pfeiffer. And me, Nicole Lappin. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoy. If you want some help, email our helpline at helpwanted at moneynewsnetwork.com for the chance to have some of your questions answered on the show. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive content and to see our beautiful faces. Maybe a little dance? Oh, I didn't sign up for that. All right. Well, talk to you soon. 